you're about to experience the Flexible Packaging Roundtable, a video podcast dedicated to all things flexible packaging. I'm your host, Sarah Janiszewski from Glenroy. Settle in and enjoy this episode. So hello and welcome everyone to the Flexible Packaging Roundtable. This is part two of the two-part series. Today, we are continuing our discussion with Sandy Childs, Director of Film and Flexible Programs at the Association of Plastic Recyclers, also known as APR. And I am your host, Sarah Janiszewski. Thanks for being here, Sandy. Um, Are you ready to hop right into the questions? Yes, I am, Sarah. Thanks. All right. So to start, what does monomaterial mean? And from a brand perspective, is it worth it to use a monomaterial mono like a store drop-off pouch? I'm really glad you asked that question because that really gets to the heart of APR's design guide for plastics recyclability. Because we understand that there are two things to think about when you're designing a plastic flexible package. And the first, and really a very important consideration, is is it functional? If you're designing something that wants to protect the contents, protect some food, some pet food, whatever it might be, and keep the contents fresh, sometimes it makes sense to use different polymers. And so a multi-material pouch, for example, for a moist dog treat or granola um, might give great performance. But The other thing to think about is the recyclability of that package once it's empty. And if you use a mixture of polymers or a multi-material pouch, you could be compromising the recyclability of that package. So that's always going to be the, um, I guess, a, a bit of a conflict there. But we're learning at APR through the work that our members are doing that in many cases you can use a simple mono material pouch and still build in the barriers or the um, whatever the factors are to protect the contents. So uh, our design guide speaks to a mono material, which is polyethylene for pouch or flexible packaging. But we also recognize that polyethylene is a really great material because it's almost infinitely customizable. And we, we recognize therefore in our design guide that a package that's 90% or more polyethylene, so 90% or more by weight of that mono material uh, is the best design package. But in that, in that 90%, you can include certain copolymers or certain Um, types of modified polyethylenes that might give a barrier property or some product protection, but there's still enough of a polyethylene content in that copolymer that it can still be considered a monomaterial. And we have guidance on certain ionomers. Um, We've looked at EVA and and other um, ethylene copolymers that are fine. So they don't render the package non-recyclable because they're there. So 
that's what we're working with our members to really promote in terms of technical innovation. How can that monomaterial polyethylene package be enhanced or modified or designed using new technology to still give the functional performance and yet be compatible with recycling? Um, there are certain blends or combinations of polymers, however, that do render that polyethylene package non-recyclable. Uh, for example, if you bond polyethylene to PET or polyester, um, it can't be separated. Once you bond a film package, uh, a couple of polymers together with a laminating adhesive or whatever the bonding might occur, um, you can't separate them. So that renders the package non-recyclable. Uh, also, too much polypropylene in a polyethylene pouch or bonded to a polyethylene package can interfere with the recyclability as well. So to sum it up, at APR, we encourage a monomaterial polyethylene as a starting point. And the simpler the package, the better. Uh, and we're constantly working on design guidance for new polyethylene material constructions. And our converter partners and our recycler members work together to make sure that we still promote innovation in the package industry, which is incredibly important. But we also work on keeping the packages innovative and simple and fully recyclable. Right. And, and you started to touch on it there, but would you like to add anything else around, you know, what the benefits of using monomaterials are for brands and consumers? Well, for sustainability goals, the more recyclable packages are, the better. So a monomaterial package will always go to the top of the line or the head of the line when it comes to being evaluated for recyclability. Um, but we also provide a number of testing protocols where new technologies can be tested and measured against performance thresholds to make sure that um, they're also fully recyclable. So um, I think the, the benefit is um, that you, you get that consumer acceptance. Um, I saw a recent data where um, at least 25% of consumers are aware of the importance of designing a package to be recyclable or aware, you know, they don't know the, the details, obviously, but if they know that something is recyclable, they're happy. So I think that's a huge benefit to brands is being able to tell that story. Um, but also um, it can be less expensive to use a monomaterial package. Um, and if you start looking forward, where at some point there will be food grade uh, recycled content available that's made from film. Um, essentially, brands are going to be buying what they put in the marketplace, so it comes full circle. And that's the circularity that everybody's aiming for. So a monomaterial, um, well-designed package that moves smoothly through the value stream all the way through um, the consumer's hands, the recycler's hands, and back into um, a new PCR or post-consumer resin to be used by the brand again, um, the more we can accelerate that and promote it, the better. So um, it's extremely important to um, try to design packages to be a monomaterial um, or to innovate so that 
Uh, Multi-material packaging can be, um, the components can be separated um, or can be compatibilized. There are some compatibilizers on the market and research going on there. So um, I think overall for everybody, um, it's extremely important that we we uh, look at that mono material and what we can do to keep it simple. Right. And next year, um, from a recycler or a reclaimer perspective, is it worth it to accept mono materials like a store drop off pouch? And what changes in their process are necessary? And what type of investment will that take? That's a that's a really interesting um, I guess evolution of our industry because store drop-off material has historically all pretty much all gone into composite lumber, um, which is great. I mean, composite lumber is a great product. Uh, people make decks out of it and um, piers, and it's it's really an awesome product. But there's more and more um, investment going on in circularity for film packaging, which means that companies want to take the film package or the flexible package and recycle it back into another bag or another pouch and make it more circular. And um, the monomaterial is important here because it's a very thin margin industry and it's only starting to really take off. So um, we have many recycling members who are making investments in washing systems, in sortation, um, to see if if more and more of that store drop-off material can be made back into new packaging um, and just adding to the market capacity. Not taking anything away from composite lumber, but adding to the market capacity with more circular packaging, where a, um, a store drop-off pouch can go through a recycling facility and be made into a PCR that's food grade and good enough to go back into another pouch. Now, right now, there is no um, uh, food grade material available for that sort of circularity. Um, the FDA has not um, issued any letters of non-objection for that circularity in film because there, there's just not enough information available yet on um, how the material um, is washed or what's mixed together. Uh, when you look at the stream and the non-objection letters for things like PET uh, that have been going on for 20, 25 years. So they just have a lot more experience. But um, at APR, we're encouraging that sort of market investment just to, to expand the number of end uses um, for that material. So currently, store drop-off material definitely has a robust market. Um, back into composite lumber or more and more into things like um, Gaylord liner film, into trash bags, into construction film, um, furniture wrap. Um, there's boat wrap now being made of recycled store drop-off material, um, probably mixed with a lot of stretch wrap too, but um, it's, a, it's a really important stream for the recyclers because more and more packaging is moving uh, in the direction um, out of rigid containers into more flexible packaging. So it's it's just part of the continuum of innovation to make sure that that store drop-off material continues to have value so that the stores continue to keep 
recycling it, they keep taking it from customers, and then the customers can know that, yes, those bags and bread wrappers and um, pouches that I put in that bin are, are definitely going to get recycled into a good product. Okay. And next year, um, is there any government legislation that can potentially have a positive impact on the recycling industry and could help expand the type of materials that can be accepted and recycled? Uh, there, that's a, that's an interesting question. Um, there's a lot of attention right now in the United States, actually in all of North America, um, towards something called extended producer responsibility or EPR for short. And right. in its simplest format, EPR makes the producer of the package responsible for the end of life of that package and builds in incentives to make it recyclable and disincentives to make it disposable. Um, so that's it in a nutshell. Um, EPR has been popular in Europe for um, almost, well, in some countries close to 20 years. So there is experience with it in Europe, but it's kind of new here in the US. Um, we're a lot different than Europe. Um, our demographics are different. Um, you know, we, we're a lot bigger, um, bigger population, but um, it it definitely uh, has some promise because essentially if you set a fee that a company has to pay for putting a non-recyclable uh, or badly designed package in the marketplace, that money from the fee can be used to improve the recycling infrastructure and at that at some point then that package might be recyclable um, or it incentivizes that company to change that package to stop paying the fee so it it's meant to be um, both a driver towards better designed more recyclable packaging um, that's sort of the stick but then the carrot part of it is that the funding can provide investment to the recycling industry and one of the things that we really need for film and flexible recycling in the U.S. is better sortation and better washing systems, and especially the washing systems. Um, if we're starting to talk about things um, like um, pouches that might have um, peanut butter or dog treats or uh, even cheese and put those packages in the recycling stream, they're going to have to be washed. And uh, as, as I said, it's a thin margin industry. So the cost of washing and especially drying, and especially today with energy prices the way they are, is, is pretty substantial. So if, if there's a way that um, fees can be set and set fairly, and then that money can be used um, as a match or as direct funding to improve the system, um, that could sort of help everybody out a little bit. Um, it helps the uh, the landfills not have to take as much material. It can help with reducing litter if more of those packages are recycled. And then it helps the recycling industry to, to um, uh, just be healthier financially and um, make, in, make more investment on their own. So it might be just a little bit of funding that they need that, that give, puts them on a solid footing so then they can go and invest on their own as well. 
Um, and usually, um, well, I guess the desirable situation for an extended producer responsibility system is that a group of various stakeholders decides um, how much the fees should be and then what they should be spent on on the other end. So it, it's not just a government agency um, that's deciding that on their own um, because sometimes they, they're they not well informed and um, without a stakeholder group, they are not going to know where the best investments are. So the stakeholder groups are very important in making the decisions on um, how to invest that funding from the fees. So I guess at, at APR, we support um, well thought out EPR proposals as long as they solve the problem. And I guess by solve the problem, I mean, as long as they work to um, help the recycling industry to boost the financial performance, to increase the supply, to, uh, to improve quality, of the recycled material that comes out of the facilities. So, so we, we want it to be directed to the recycling industry and addressing their needs. Um, and in order to do that, we have to have well-informed, well-educated elected officials. Um, APR does a lot of work in state government, legislatures, and even at the federal level um, not necessarily pushing any particular policies, but making sure that the, um, the elected officials are educated uh, as to how the system actually works and um, what, the, what the consequences are of, of these policies that are being tossed around. So um, whenever you're talking about something that's environmental or that involves plastics, as, as we all know, things can get a little bit emotional and, and certain people have certain agendas. So uh, APR wants to make sure that, that any government action is, is well thought out, is grounded in data and objective information. And, and so I, th I think if those um, parameters can be met, then the answer is yes, there is a place for good public policy in improving the recycling system. And um, I think right, I've been doing this for a while, and I can say that right now there is more interest across a broad range of stakeholders to make sure that if we have this sort of legislation, it is um, going to improve the industry and not be punitive or not just be a method for collecting more money for the government, but um, actually um, improve the industry. So. I think we're optimistic. Sure, thank you for answering all of my questions. And I mean, to wrap it up here, I really just wanted to end by saying, is there anything else that you would like to add? I would just say that um, the issue of flexible packaging um, is really exciting right now because it's it's a newcomer to the plastics recycling industry, and it's very challenging. Um, it's nothing like PET, which compared to flexible packaging, PET is so easy. It's just PET. Um, but again, polyethylene, like I said, is so um, 
customizable and then you have other flexible materials and the the technical abilities of this material to um, provide good packaging are, are amazing. But the recycling industry is what it is right now. And so um, we just need to, to work together to design better packaging, to increase the supply of material, to make sure that we're all participating in a rising tide and everybody's boat gets floated. So um, it's, a, it's an exciting time. The industry is changing. Um, I know there's a lot of pressure on package manufacturers and brand owners, but the the best way to make sure that um, that you're not hurt by um, what's going on is is to participate and to get involved at APR in our film committee or on our policy and communications uh, end of things and stay informed uh, and provide your point of view because, like I said, APR is a, a collection of stakeholders from the entire value chain and everybody's input is really important. So thank you. Wonderful, yeah, thank you, Sandy, for joining us for this two-part series. Uh, I think this was filled with tons of useful information, so thank you again. Well, I hope so, I hope it's useful. And again, if you need anything else, let me know, Sarah. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Flexible Packaging Roundtable. Don't forget to like, share, and comment on Glenroy's social channels. To learn more about what it is we do, visit our website at glenroy.com. See you next time.